is beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Today's Bible lesson, the 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry. The 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministries. Well, let's begin with a song. The first song I ever heard from our song worship leader, June Murphy is the song that you're about to hear. Let's follow its advice. The song is Come Into Your Presence.
I bet you you were coming on bended knee a little better when you wrote that song than you are now, huh? <laughs> what did you write that about 20 years ago? Yeah, your knee was bending a lot better then, as was mine. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for demonstrating sacrifice so that I could know what it is. The surrender of something prized for a higher purpose. Thank you for sacrificing your precious son for the higher purpose of giving every one of your creatures the chance to be saved. Thank you for the spiritual gift that you have given me. Thank you for giving me the chance to operate in my gift within Barah Ministries. And thank you for all the challenges of ministry over the years. Thank you most for the people who have been on my side with no pretense, true friends, people who demonstrate the qualities of character that come directly from your Son working inside of them. And thank you for their choice to listen to what the Spirit is saying. Let the next year reveal the entire Godhead to me in a new and refreshing way so that I can pass along your goodness to everyone you send to me. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm thinking that I should... uh, go on sabbatical more often if it's going to fill the seats, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Got 900 people here today, people. Today's Bible lesson, the 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry. The 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry. Let's begin with the last part of Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 to 29, which is absolutely appropriate for what we're going to discuss today. Colossians 1.21 says this, At one time, all of you were alienated from God and hostile in mind when you were unbelievers. We come to earth physically alive and spiritually dead on the wrong side of a barrier and helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. 
helpless and hopeless to get across the barrier to have a relationship with God. But lucky for us, God the Father sent his son to die on a cross so that we could cross that barrier through the courtesy of his person and his work. So at one time, all of you were alienated from God and hostile in mind when you were unbelievers, living in the sphere of your evil deeds. That's one of the great things about my unbelieving friends. You don't have any pretense to, to think that they're going to do something good because they always operate in completely predictable ways, which is evil. Colossians 1.22 Yet the Lord has now reconciled all of you believers in Christ in his physical body through his death on a cross. Deity can have no contact with sin. So the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. And when he went to the cross, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were imputed to his humanity and judged so that we can have eternal life if we so choose. And why did he do that? In order to prepare all of you and to present all of you before himself as holy in his own sight and as blameless, free from being targets of accusation. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. The enemy of God is called the accuser of the brethren. He is an accuser who accuses believers in Christ in heaven day and night. And yet all of his accusations are swept off by God. God ignores them because we as believers in Christ are not allowed to be the target of his accusations. And as people who are beyond reproach, people who are without blemish, people who are irreproachable because at the moment of your salvation... God imputes his own righteousness to you so that you are absolutely righteous. And as a believer in Christ, that is your admission ticket to heaven. Colossians 1.23. If indeed all of you continue in the faith. Now this is one of the verses that false pastors, false teachers use in their false teaching to say that perhaps you can lose your salvation if you don't continue in the faith. But that does not apply to believers in Christ because we absolutely continue in the faith. And if here is a first class condition, if, if, and it's true, if indeed all of you continue in the faith, which of course you will, if and it's true, firmly established and steadfast in your faith. Why? Because God makes us that way as believers in Christ. See, that's the whole thing about Christianity. Everybody thinks you have to work in Christianity. You don't. God does the work. You know why he does the work? Because we're inadequate to do the work. You know, there are a lot of religions that tell you you have to save yourself and you have to earn your place in heaven. You can't. You can't. And there are people right now in churches all over the world who think that they can earn their salvation. They think that they can do something that's impressive enough to God for them to be saved. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Here it is right here. So, if indeed all of you continue in the faith, which of course you will, firmly established and steadfast in your faith, and if indeed you don't get moved away by false teachers from the hope of the gospel message of reconciliation that you have heard and responded to. Now, there it is. This is not about salvation. This is about the sanctification portion of your spiritual life, the the time between salvation and physical death. And so God is doing all this work in you. Now, if you start listening to false teachers, 
which I have over the course of my lifetime as a believer in Christ, all of a sudden it steals your hope. It steals your hope. You start believing the crap that they're saying because lies are easier to believe. And if you don't go to church and sit in front of a pastor who's teaching the truth, you have nothing but lies influencing you at all times. And what is it influencing you to do? It's influencing you to sabotage your marriage. It's influencing you to let your kids do stupid stuff. It's influencing you to bring, be around the wrong people and the wrong influences. And that's exactly what we do. It's, it's influencing you to build the dumb lifestyle. How many times have you heard people say this dumb thing? My family's number one. Oh, well, thanks. How about the creator? How about the guy who created you? Is he, what, where is he on your list? Oh, you didn't like that, did you? <laughs> yeah, where does he fit? That's just dumb. But that's what we do. Colossians 1.23, continuing. Which gospel message was proclaimed to every creature under heaven? So we no longer have to worry about the little children in the middle of Africa not getting the gospel message. And of which I, Paul, was made a minister by God. He was made a minister of the gospel message. Colossians 1.24. Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake as a minister. Here's the, uh, the new verses for today. And it's perfect for what we're going to talk about today. Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake as a minister. Scratch out Paul, put Rory. I, Rory, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake as a minister. And in my flesh, the physical body, I do my share on behalf of his body, the body of Christ, the church-age believers, and I am continuing to suffer what is still to come in the afflictions that Christ provides. God gives us tribulation to take us to the spiritual gymnasium so that we can learn perseverance, proven character, and so that we can have hope. Colossians 1.25, of this church, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the stewardship from God the Father bestowed on me for your benefit. Scratch out Paul and put Rory. Of this church, I, Rory, was made a minister according to the stewardship from God the Father bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Colossians 1.26, that is, preaching about the mystery hidden from the past ages and generations. That's a reference to hidden from the Old Testament believers. Moses, David, Daniel knew nothing about this mystery. A mystery that has now been made clearly visible to God the Father's church-age saints. That's the era of divine history that we're in. The period right after the cross and the period right before the tribulation. It's called the church age. And we are church-age believers, church-age saints. Colossians 1.27, to whom God the Father willed to make known what are the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you. The hope, and hope in Greek is absolute confidence, the absolute confidence of your future glory. If you're a believer in Christ, your salvation is secure. If you're a believer in Christ, you're in the period called sanctification. 
which is the period between your salvation and your physical death. And next, glory. Your salvation isn't quite complete, but God will complete it. And it will be glorious for you. That's why it's called the glorious riches of this mystery. And a mystery is something that wasn't revealed to other people, but is revealed to you now. It's not a secret. It was God's purpose to reveal it at the proper time. So today I am teaching my final lesson until January of 2023. And for the last 22 years, I have taught the word of God faithfully without a break. And it is a pleasure to be a minister for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave me this stewardship for your benefit. It's also a pleasure to be able to take a sabbatical rest, to get closer in my relationship to the Lord so that I can play a more important role in his kingdom when I return from the break. During my prayer sessions in the last month, since I decided to take the sabbatical rest, he has made it clear to me that I will be returning after the break. (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) You guys were so worried, I know. I know. This is not the end. And what form the the new ministry will take is not clear, except that it will not be in the form that it has been. Now, for those of you who don't know a sabbatical, what a sabbatical is, it is a release from a pastor's normal duties to study and travel. It's a suspension of normal activities. And I am really looking forward to taking the time to allow my mind to become lucid again so that I can see the importance of this job clearly. Because when you do it over and over and over again, 22 years, it just all starts to blend together after a while. And when you get pain after pain after pain after pain from betrayal after betrayal after betrayal, which you're not supposed to talk about, not supposed to take retribution for, it just gets old. And I am really happy to just get away from that for a while and get my head clear. January 12th, 2022 marks my 14th anniversary as an ordained pastor. And a sabbatical is supposed to be an every seven years experience, so I am well overdue for this rest. I spent Thanksgiving in Cachetta, Louisiana, which is about 20 miles from Nacogdoches, Louisiana, the oldest parish in Louisiana, about an hour south of Shreveport. And Nacogdoches is the birthplace of my father. And Lo and behold, I just invited myself to a customer's house for Thanksgiving. Just called him up and said, hey, guess what? I'm coming to your house for Thanksgiving. He said, oh, great. I said, what do you think about that? He said, I don't know how I'm going to tell all these people that a black person's coming, but I'll figure it out. Because Louisiana is country. Amen? It's way down there in the country. So anyway, lo and behold, as if, coincidences, one of the coincidences that always seems to happen, there is a retreat house there for pastors who are burned out. And pastors who need a place to go to refresh their relationship with God in silence and serenity. And the only person that the pastor can bring is a wife if he needs to reconnect with a wife. I don't have that problem. 
So, <laughs> so God's leading me there to find this place is not a coincidence. I am not burned out, but life's nest has clearly closed in to blot out the sky. I need a fresh perspective of life and of this ministry that I've been robbed of, quite frankly, in the last couple of years. I think you can relate. Amen? In the past month, I've been reflecting on the changes that God has made in me in the period between June 1999 and November 2021, and they are significant. These are the things I want to share with you today, the most important things I have learned as a pastor in the last two decades. And this lesson was easy to outline, but it's hard to write because it's about me, and this ministry has never been about me, neither in God's eyes nor in my own. My Christian experience has spanned nearly six decades. I became a Christian when I was eight years old. I was evangelized by men in an ice cream truck who came into the neighborhood. They offered ice cream and signed up all who were interested in a mail-order evangelism program. And it was fun to get notes in the mail from them every week in which they shared the gospel message. And I accepted the notion that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation would save me. It's ironic that the letter we are studying as I depart for sabbatical, Paul's letter to the Colossians, details exactly what I experienced at the beginning of my Christian experience. As soon as I became a believer in Christ, Satan, the enemy of God, sent in false teachers with false teaching to pervert my experience. And as a result, I spent nearly five decades under the influence of Roman Catholicism and systematic theology. And what I'll share with you is a few aspects of my learning. I'm sure if you do a similar reflection of your last two decades, you'll see several changes in yourself if you've been a faithful student of the Word of God during that time. What is clear to me is that the changes made in me were made by God and had little to do with my own works. Think about it. I was 44 years old when I started teaching the Word of God, and now I'm 66 years old. That's a long time. I've lost two marriages in that time and lost a relationship with my younger son in that time, along with a lot of hurts and scars as a person at the point of this ministry. It's been a long road. So let me share some of the learning with you. Learning number one, Jesus Christ is God. You see the sign hanging above my head. Jesus Christ is God. There is a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Back in 1999, when I started Barat Ministries from my dining room table with Zachary Clark as the first member, I knew about God, but I didn't know God. The Lord Jesus Christ was a concept to me, not a person that I could get to know, not a person who knows me, a person who knows me better than I know myself, because he created me. He was simply a slogan to me. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. Jesus Christ died for my sins. But I had no idea what that meant, really, because I didn't see him that way. I saw him as a God who was looking to come down on me, a God.
What? It's not going to make me stay. What? Is it working? Check, check, check. Okay. Good. So, Jesus Christ was just a slogan to me. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. Jesus Christ died for my sins. All because of you, Lord, and all those other trivial things that we say about this amazing person. But today, the Lord Jesus Christ is my best friend. We meet every day to start my day. We talk every day. And it is clear to me that he is the one who is directing my path straight. And when I meet the Lord face to face at the moment of my physical death, when I close my eyes in this life and open my eyes, my spiritual eyes in eternity, I will not be meeting the Lord for the first time. I will know the person that I am meeting. And today I know for sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure in human history, the still point in a turning world, and the, the central figure in my life. And as the prophet reveals in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other, says the Lord. Besides me, there is no other God. And there are religions who have multiple gods. They are wrong. They are off base. They are incorrect. They're not even close to being the truth. That is not the truth. This is. There is only one God. And Christianity is not a religion. Religion, which is Satan's system, is always trying to drag Christianity into it. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. And I am pleased to have this relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. And these aren't just words to me anymore, like they were in 1999. It's very real to me. Learning number two, the Bible is the inerrant source of absolute truth. The Bible is the inerrant source of absolute truth. I know I send you guys scrambling to the dictionary all the time. Inerrant means there are no errors in it. The Bible contains no lies and no contradictions. It's not just a bunch of stories made up by a bunch of guys who are sitting around writing their thoughts. It's not just a book, and it is not out of date. What a gracious God we have who would give us his exact thinking and writing so that we can be crystal clear what he thinks. We can inspect his thoughts. We can meditate on his thoughts. We can test his thoughts for accuracy. We can move from confusion to clarity to confidence by knowing his word. I could throw around terms for you like uh, verbal plenary inspiration and tell you, exactly <laughs> tell you exactly how it was that God got his exact thoughts into human beings and they wrote exactly what he told them without any interference with their personality. I could tell you all about canonicity and how the, what the tests are that have been created to know whether a biblical book is canonical or whether it's an attempted infiltration by Satan, like the doctrine, the, the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Judas, and what about the other gospels? Or if you look in the Catholic Bible, the five or ten extra books that they put in there to help God, because they're always helping God, because he is so weak, he needs help. Their God is that weak. 
Well, I'm not going to throw those things around for you, but I will tell you an interesting story from yesterday's football game. So we're standing outside the uh, stadium waiting to get in, and this lady that was there started talking to me about ghosts. And I said, well, there's no such thing as a ghost. Oh, well, you know, there's this house that my friend had, and one of the side of the house was destroyed, and the other side... The water would come on and off, and, you know, the, the radios would come on and off, and, you know, we just think there were ghosts. And I said, there's no such thing as ghosts. There are demons. Satan has a demon army. Satan, the enemy of God, has a demon army. And he does a lot of really clever things. Well, like what? Now, she's very interested, but she's not believing a damn thing I'm saying, just so you know. So I said, well, f- let's say that you had had a kid who was dying, and you were in the room with the kid as the kid was dying, and as the kid was dying, before he took his last breath, he grabbed your arm and he said, Mom, I just want you to know I loved you, and he stopped breathing, and now you're distraught because you lost a kid, as all parents who lose kids are, and so you decide to go to a medium, and the medium is an unbeliever, and the medium is indwelled by a demon, And the demon was in the room when that thing happened. And the demon says to the medium to tell you the exact thing that happened. And the medium says, I'm I'm seeing a room. And there's a lady in the room with 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 a boy. And the boy grabs the lady's arm and he says, Mom, I love you. And now the boy is talking to me from the other side. That stuff happens all the time. You guys know it. You go to psychics. <laughs> you, 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 you check out what your horoscope is. I'm an Aries. You believe that crap. It's on TV. It's got to be right. It's on TV, the TV shows. It's in the movies. It's got to be right. Because they couldn't get away with putting that stuff on movies and on TV if it wasn't right, right? It's in books. Well, she's fascinated by this. Now, is that going to make her go to church? Is that going to make her open up a Bible? No. No, not at all. But all the stuff I just told you is right in there. It's available for everybody. But we don't want to know, really. We don't want to know. If people wanted to know, places like this would be full every week. People would be seeking out the truth. And they wouldn't be able to get enough of it. It wouldn't be a once a week experience. You don't drink water once a week. You don't breathe once a week. But we have this gracious God who tells us exactly what he thinks through his word. I started out my Christian experience with a Bible, but then the thoughts of men infiltrated and perverted the truth with lies and false perspectives. When I was a Roman Catholic and I wanted to open the Bible and had questions about it, I always got beaten. I got my hands, my knuckles wrapped with seven rulers with rubber bands around them by Sister John Mary. Why are you so inquisitive? Just open the catechism and believe everything that's in it. 
Okay, I did that. I memorized it. You could tell me the page, I could tell you the citation. You just tell me the page and the paragraph, I'll tell you exactly what it said. But then I made the mistake of opening the Bible, and it was saying exactly opposite things. Hmm. That's why she didn't want me to open it. Now, to Sister John Mary's credit, she asked me where I was going to take the entrance exam for high school, and I told her Hales Franciscan, which is where all the other kids were going. She said, no, go to St. Ignatius and take the exam. You're different from these other kids. So on the one hand, she didn't want me asking any questions, but on the other hand, she recognized that I was different from the other kids in that I was inquisitive. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life when I went to St. Ignatius to go get the persecution uh, for the first two years that because I was black, I didn't belong at St. Ignatius. Now, they, were, they happened to be right about that, right, because I couldn't afford it. And I definitely wasn't smart enough to be there. But I figured it out after two years. Got a 99 in Latin, which is the toughest subject and the highest grade you can get in that subject in junior year. And that was God letting me know that I had arrived. That was awesome. Amen. So, in the last... Two years, I've learned, or in the last two decades, one of the things I've learned is to teach the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And that's the key to knowing the Lord because God's perspective is clear and man's perspective is perverted. Well, in what way? Well, if you sin after salvation... You might not be saved at all. You may just have a head belief and not a heart belief. What in the hell does that even mean? And this is what people tell you. Oh, when you invite Christ into your heart, it's inviting Christ into a tomb. Okay. Jesus Christ didn't finish the work of salvation at the cross, so every time we sin, we need to confess our sins because when we sin, we're out of fellowship with God. He walks away from us. He turns his back on us. But when we confess the sin, then we're back in fellowship with God. I taught that. And I taught it really well, too. And it was a lie. And when I got up and told my congregation that it was a lie, I ran off about 60% of them. I like them apples. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All scripture is God-breathed, theonoustos. God breathes the thoughts into people, and people write those thoughts word for word. And the God-breathed scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be mature, totally equipped for every good work. When you study the Bible, you are totally equipped for every good work. The Bible is the owner's manual of life. 
And if you aren't getting yourself into it on a regular basis, you're missing out on the direction you need to run your life in an effective manner. Now, you will have a rudder on your life. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, what is the rudder that you've placed on your life? And I guarantee you, if you're like me, and I know you are, you have crashed your boat a lot of times. You've had plans, and they didn't work. Why? She had the wrong rudder on the boat. Who's telling you that, though? Nobody's telling you that because if anybody tells you that, you're offended. I'm offended. You're not being supportive of me. You're not encouraging me. Did it ever occur to you that the people who are in your face are the people who love you the most? The people who don't say anything to you? They don't care about you. But what do we do? We reject the people who care about us most. Amen? Isn't that kind of crazy? As the Apostle Peter illuminates in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. Can you put that up? Know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation, and no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. Men, guided by God the Holy Spirit, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. God inhale, exhales the truth. Theonustos, all scripture is God breathed. Human beings inhale that truth and then exhale it onto paper. That's what happened to create the Bible, which closed in A.D. 90. Knowing God's exact thoughts, and his exact will is priceless, especially when it's not tainted by human misperceptions. Learning number three, God is responsible for my advance to spiritual maturity. When I was in systematic theology, we had to advance ourselves to spiritual maturity. And, you know, that's the funny thing about it. everything that human beings suggest. Everything the human beings suggest to us about how we ought to be living our spiritual life, none of it works. It's just so funny. Because I didn't find myself getting more mature by regurgitating my sins every day, 250 times a day. So, God is responsible for advancing me to spiritual maturity, which means I am not. And only through biblical study do we mature spiritually. Bible study indicts false teachers and false teaching. The Apostle Paul distinguishes the mature from the immature in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, And so I, Paul, brethren, and brethren is a term that refers to fellow believers in Christ, could not speak to you as I would speak to spiritual persons, people who are mature believers in Christ. If you're a mature believer in Christ, you're spiritual. If you're an immature believer in Christ, you're also spiritual because you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but you're called carnal uh, also in the Bible. Here's that. 
But I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, carnal believers, those who are immature, as if I'm speaking to infants in union with Christ. And when we first become believers in Christ, we are infants in the matter of knowing Christ. Nothing wrong with that, except if you don't get your, yourself exposed to the truth so that you can know the truth and it can set you free. The amount of false propaganda that Satan inundates us with to distract us from the truth is mind-boggling. I drew a little figure of a person, and I drew all the influences that are coming into that person these days. Video games, Instagram, Facebook, social distancing, whoever came up with that. I want to give that person a high five. The person who came up with that and got us to believe it and do it, that got us to look at spaces on the floor and stand on the spaces in the floor, to get on an elevator and somebody actually goes to the space on the floor, it's unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable to me that we do that. But we do it. TV, media, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all this stuff just completely inundated. Well, anybody who has more than two choices in any matter is paralyzed. All of that inundation of propaganda is designed to paralyze you so that you do nothing. It's amazing. And the Christian who says, I don't have to go to church to worship God is an absolute idiot. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. The Christian who says, I don't have to go to church to worship God, is an absolute idiot. Why? Because where are you going to get it from? Where are you going to get the truth about God from? The Internet? Where are you going to get it from? YouTube? Where are you going to get it from? Google? Those are tools that I use, and I have to sort through the crap. Where are you going to get it from? Religion? Where you get it, get it, get it from? Laying in bed on Sunday? No. <laughs> but it is an interesting thought for the next 13 months, isn't it, Denny? <laughs> there is absolutely no way you can learn about God without the help of a professional who is trained to lead you into all the truth. When you find a person who is capable in this area, you'd be a fool to let him go. And especially a fool to let him go because you figure out that this person sins. That's why a lot of people leave Barah Ministries, because I sin. When I stand up here and tell you that I can out-sin any one of you, I tell you that. How many pastors have you ever heard tell you that? You ain't going to hear any. No, because they're phony. And I understand it. I do. But what they do is they insulate themselves from you. You know, we got a couple people in a non-resident congregation who go to what I call a whore church. You know, they're supposed to be members of Barah Ministries, but they have a whore church that they go to. But when they're having difficulty in their relationship, who did they call? Me. You know why? Because I'll answer the call. That's why. And I'll spend two hours of my time when I could be sitting in front of the TV watching sports, 
helping them to get a perspective on their marriage so that it stays together, see? But the pastor at the whore church, they had a dinner set up with them that never came to pass because that's what most pastors have to do, and they're sane for doing it. They just separate themselves from the flock. What kind of shepherd separates himself from the flock? Shut up. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? You supposed to you supposed to to handle the flock by remote control? You handle them from a distance? Because that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about just doing it all on the internet, so I don't have to interact with you. Because if I don't have to interact with you, then I don't have to get hurt by you. See, I can hide in my house. But that's not fair to the people who haven't hurt me. And it wouldn't keep me from getting hurt. But there are a lot of things in the 22 years. I mean, you guys all have an opinion of me, but I don't think you ever considered it that I might have an opinion of you. I don't think you ever considered it that I might not like it at all, that you never ask questions about God. And I don't know what student doesn't ask questions about God. I don't understand it. <laughs> Is that it? It must be. It must be that I'm that good. But I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think I'm that good. So anyway. When I'm on sabbatical, I'm turning you over to the care of Pastor John Farley. I trust him with my life. And I want you to study his Gospel of John series of lessons. There are 41 lessons in there so far. The Apostle John's Gospel focuses on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what I'll be studying when I'm gone. I'm going to study the Gospel of John, so if you study the Gospel of John, we'll be on the same page. Two books will help you with this study. Be Transformed by Warren Wearsby and Be Alive by Warren Wearsby covers the entire 21 chapters of John, readily available at Amazon, and it will supplement Pastor John's teaching. And what I like about Wearsby is he's really easy to read. He, he's really easy to understand, and a lot of the commentators just are not. Learning number four. God has an unchanging viewpoint toward his creatures. God has an unchanging viewpoint toward his creatures. God's eyes see us through the lens of unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. We are loved without condition. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The one who does not love unconditionally does not know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love. It's his person, and it is his identity. So what does that mean, that he loves you unconditionally? No matter what you do, it does not affect his love for you in any way. You aren't hearing that. You're hearing that when you sin, he doesn't like you all that much. Aren't you? It's false. It's not true. Oh, well, good, then I can just sin anytime I want, right? Correct. Yeah, you have this thing called free will. You can sin anytime you want. Does it work? Nope. It's stupid. Shall we sin so that grace may increase? Romans 6.1. May it never be. Absolutely not. 
We are forgiven from eternity past, billions of years ago, forgiven. For every sin we ever commit, past, present, and future. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, I, even I, the Lord, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God does not remember your sins, ever. An omniscient God who knows all the knowable does not remember your sins. He chooses not to remember your sins. You remember your sins. You're still obsessing about something you did when you were 20. Why? Why is that? You can't forget your sins, but the supreme being of the universe forgets your sins. But you can't. Why not? Because Satan doesn't let you. Because your family doesn't let you. Because your friends don't let you. Isn't it great to have people in our lives? God is a gracious God when we make mistakes. And we don't have to work to please him. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this. If salvation is by grace, first class condition if, if and it's true, and of course it is, salvation is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Grace and works are opposite. Otherwise, if you have to work for grace, then it's no longer grace. Amen? We don't have to work. Why do you work so hard to please God and fail at it? You don't have to please somebody that's already pleased with you. You even like it that I say that. That does not sink into your consciousness. That is not something that you pull out of your mental library on a regular basis when you're busy beating yourself up because the flesh in you is telling you that you suck. And it does it a hundred times a day. And you don't once go into the mental library and pull that out and say, yeah, I may suck, but God loves me unconditionally. So who are you to say anything to me? And when friends are telling you about how lousy your life is, who are they? Who are they? I'll tell you who they are. They're people who don't look in the mirror ever. Because people who left this congregation recently, if they want, they can call me and I'll tell them the 10 things I know about their lives that they wouldn't like it if I put on blast. Because once again, you know, everybody thinks that the opinions all go one way. They don't. I see things, too. I just choose not to hold it against people. And anybody who's left this congregation and has those opinions, bring them, because I got some, too. And emails to back it up. Bring it. It's not funny. It's sad, honestly. So grace is not a free gift if you have to work for it. God is not disappointed with us. God does not hold our past against us, unlike our friends. God is not a God of partiality. He doesn't see social status or race or gender. When we meet him, he is not going to throw our paid-for sins up in our face. 
said, like a true sinner. <laughs> <laughs> Learning number five, God has an enemy, Satan, who does not want us to get to know God. Our enemy has many titles in the Bible. Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon who deceives the whole world, the serpent who leads the world astray, the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience, and the prince of the power of the air, just to name a few. The Greek word that describes Satan best is diabolos, which means slanderer. Diabolical is an English word we get from that. Satan caused all the angels to turn on the Lord by trafficking slander about the Lord amongst the angels. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 18 says this, By the multitude of your iniquities, sins, in the unrighteousness of your trade, the Hebrew word rakal, which means going about from one to another trafficking slander against someone, you, Satan, profaned your sanctuaries. He was the anointed cherub who covers. He was the bodyguard of the throne room of God. He was the most brilliant, most gorgeous creature ever to come from the hand of God. And he profaned his sanctuary. So if you're ever wondering why you are constantly in self-sabotage, it's because you are duplicating the exact thing that's been done already. And it started with God's enemy, Satan who sabotaged himself and led everybody else to the same sabotage. And it's the same thing Adam did. All people were considered to have sinned when Adam sinned. And Adam's sin was imputed to you when you were born. So you were born a sinner. And while you were a sinner, God still loved you unconditionally. And now that you're a believer, you're a saint and no longer a sinner but you do sin. Satan is very convincing. In fact, he convinces all of us to do the same thing he did, to traffic slander, which is oral defamation of a person's character. The Lord describes his enemy to a group of unbelieving Jews in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says this, You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not tell the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks, he lies. And lies are his native language because he is a liar and he keeps on fathering lies. So every time that voice in you starts telling you something about yourself, believe the opposite. That's the flesh and it is lying. And you love listening to it. And you love believing it. And the flesh is more powerful than your will. And every time you say, uh, I'm gonna, I, you know, when the new year comes, I'm, I'm going to go to the gym. It sabotages it. There's a lot to learn in 22 years, isn't there? I used to just think I didn't have any willpower. I didn't think there was a force inside of me that was more powerful than me that was encouraging me to reject God. I think it's always funny how people start coming to Barah Ministries and then a week later their boss asks them to work on Sunday. I think that's just so funny. Not funny ha-ha, funny peculiar. 
I find it funny that by 40 years old, I had accomplished everything on my goals list except read the Bible. Why didn't that get done? Hmm. Satan's greatest deception is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And he is quite good at deceiving, and he's quite good at that deception. A book I recommend for study in the next year is Live No Lies by John Comer. It's a book that discusses ways to recognize and resist the three enemies that sabotage your peace. The devil, Satan's world system of thought, and the flesh resident in your body. Now, I've recommended books. You remember when people used to read books? We don't read books anymore because electronic devices have taught us not to concentrate. And so we can't read a book without falling asleep. We have rejected books as things that give us thoughts that we don't have. Your thoughts aren't good enough to help you lead your life. You need new thoughts all the time. But we have rejected books. Do you know when black people were slaves, you know the one thing that they didn't want black people to have? Books. You know why? Because they start getting thoughts. They start having hope. Now, you don't even have to stop kids from not reading. They don't want to do it. And if it's not one paragraph book, they don't want to read it. And the parents say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm powerless. Stop feeding them. They'll read. (laughs) What, you think I'm kidding? Stop feeding them. You you read book, you'll get hamburger. (laughs) You no read book, you no get hamburger. Yeah, I got friends in China. Yeah, they got ways. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, a deception he designs to make us antagonistic or indifferent to God. There are billions of people involved in religion, well-meaning people who think they are saved when they might not be. And many are worshiping a counterfeit Jesus. Many are worshiping a counterfeit Jesus. And the Apostle Paul warns us to beware. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, it says, If someone comes and preaches another Jesus, a counterfeit Jesus, whom we have not preached about, and of course they do, false teachers offer both a counterfeit Jesus and a counterfeit gospel message. And as Paul says sarcastically in the 2 Corinthians passage, we bear it beautifully. We are completely tolerant of false teachers and their false teaching to our own destruction. And when we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll hear about the other five lessons from the past 22 years. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. Told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody we're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since 
stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry. The 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry. Well, this is a $60,000 ministry. And even though I'm away, the bills of the ministry will continue. And we appreciate your continued support of the ministry in the coming year. Our facility will remain an obligation. We have to pay its rent. And my modest salary and other bills are still part of the obligation of the ministry. So you can contribute via PayPal or check or website or the app. And thanks in advance for your continued support. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place focused on the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor and teach the real truth in the Word of God. And I have to be honest, last week I feel a little bit bad because I compared my kids to the devil. And I never thought I would do it. Pastor's done it plenty of times up here, and, you know, I'm like... And then I hear, I get up and I do it even faster than when he did it. So it's just funny how that works out because they're really great kids and they're very nice and they're very sweet as long as they're sleeping. So that's the good part. But um, the funny thing is about kids is, you know, they really have no filter and they really don't care about you. They're completely selfish. They're locked in the flesh. Really, they are. My daughter tells me every morning that, Daddy, I'm hungry. That's the first thing I get. Emily gets the same thing. Mommy, I'm hungry. No, hey, good morning. How are you? You know, you get home. I'm hungry. I need food. And clearly you're doing something else. It's, I think Pastor has a, an idea there with just letting them not, you know, don't feed them until they start reading. So that's a good, that's a good plan. <laughs> Save us money, too, I think, which would be great. But the funny thing about kids is they're so selfish, you know, and they just, they really just say what they want. But, you know, that's not what we're supposed to be in this life. The exact opposite of how Christ was. Or how Christ is, selfless, never worrying about himself, always worrying about others. And I thought about people like the Secret Service. They put their life on the line for the president. They would jump in front of a bullet for the president at the drop of a hat. <clears throat> they do everything for the guy. They watch out for him. They're checking the event pre, pre the event, after the event, everything during the event. And it's, it's one of those selfless careers you don't hear about. And it makes me think of parents. They're very similar completely selfless, always working to satisfy the kids. It's always sacrifice as a parent. A true parent is really sacrificing all the time. And that's a, that made me think of actually another point about the Trinity. That's another reason why there is a Trinity, because they're a family. And that's really the only way to get to know God is by being in a family. Because then you see what you have to sacrifice for. These little devil kids, I mean great kids. And it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to want to sacrifice and it's hard to want to give to them when they're driving you crazy and you know ultimately it leads to a pastor it's the greatest form of sacrifice there is in the world taking on the abuses taking on all the things you've gone through he said earlier you know he lost turn he basically lost two marriages lost a relationship with his son turned down basically a billion dollar career that he could have had you know to have a relationship with his kids and then to lose relationship with one of them has really got to hurt and I've been here for a lot of the people that have come and gone the true friends that have left, and that hurts. But here he is giving and giving, worrying about others and not himself. 
like he said last week during the teen lesson, he had a little sour attitude, didn't want to be there because he was there with a bunch of teens that didn't want to be there either. You know, so it's, it's t- that's true sacrifice. And so everybody that's been here and has given, they've sacrificed for a long time. And we're truly thankful for that. And so I'm sure you're thankful this is the last offering you have to do, the last time you have to see my ugly mug and, and give money. But I think we, we know what to do going forward. Let's, let's give money to the two bra ministries to sustain it. But let's also give information to our pastor. Let's question him. Let's ask him some questions. Let's tell him our insights. Because that's true knowledge, too. That's... That's time, talent, and treasure. That's just not giving your, your, your treasure to the church and thinking that's enough. Because he wants our talent. That's how pastors grow. He said he's a lifelong learner. So let's help him learn, and let's, let's all learn together. And so thank you for always supporting this ministry. I, I ran over my verse. I meant to say it with, with the kids because they're focused on their flesh. We see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I, Paul, say keep on walking by the guidance of, and power of God the Holy Spirit. And you cannot carry out the desire of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So kids, they're stuck in the flesh, and they should be guided by the Spirit. And that's what parents are. They're guided by a Spirit to help their kids for, the, for their best. And that's what pastors are, to guide them for their ultimate best. You know, the Holy Spirit is there for all of us. And so let's focus on the Holy Spirit as we go away from each other and stay focused on the Holy Spirit because that's the only way to get through life. So thank you very much. I've got hope. When things look bad And I can smile When I should be sad I've got friends who lift me up When I'm feeling alone They watch over So far away I've got 
Is that good? Awesome. Today's Bible lesson, the 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry. The 10 most important lessons in 22 years of ministry, we've gotten through five of them. I just want to say that uh, in the 22 years of ministry, uh, the one person that I've always known that I could count on is Deacon Denny Goodall. And he's my Secret Service agent. And yeah. And he's taken a lot of personal bullets in the ministry. And the one thing that's always been funny to me, I was, I was writing down the names of deacons that we've had here in the past. And all of them have left except him. And I don't think any of them ever considered what the load is that they leave on him when they leave. I don't think they've considered that once. And it's really sad. But he's always been here. And ever-present help all the time, always at beck and call, always. And that's just an amazing thing to have a relationship with a human being as wonderful as him. So thank you, Denny. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that. (laughs) Now I know what you mean. All right, learning number six. The gospel message is of primary importance for pastors and for Christians. The gospel message is of primary importance for pastors and for Christians. What is the gospel message? It is the good news that you can be saved. It's the good news that Jesus Christ went to a cross to save you. This was the shock of my life 50 years into my Christianity when I finally studied the most important book in biblical Christianity, Paul's letter to the Romans. I was sitting around waiting for God to provide a person to this ministry who had the gift of evangelism. And that would be the person who was really interested in going around and spreading the gospel message so that people could be saved. And what I learned in Romans is that every Christian has the responsibility to evangelize. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was the Lord's instructions to his disciples. And if you're going to be effective at evangelizing, inviting others to the Christian way of life by providing them with the gospel message, every Christian must commit these verses to memory. John chapter 3 verse 36 He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see 
the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Accept Christ, eternal life. Reject Christ, eternal condemnation. Your choice. All humans are here on earth to make a simple choice. The choice for or against a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God and the gospel message, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. The gospel message is vital and it must be on the tip of the tongue of every believer in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ, who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Now, what is that, six verses? But you hear the cop-out Christians, oh, I have a bad memory. How do you know? Do you have an electrode in your memory and a little device that tells you whether it's good or bad? No, you're just lazy. You're just lazy-minded. You haven't figured out yet how to program your mind effectively. The mind thinks in pictures. The mind thinks in rhymes. The mind thinks in songs. You can remember a song from your childhood. B-I-N-G-O, 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 and Bingo was his name. You hear 80-year-olds singing that song that they learned when they were two. So, but they're also saying they have a bad memory. No, it's not that. All right, so then cop-out Christians say, well, I'm not very articulate. Okay, well, how about this? How about if you take a book and you will be saved and hand it to people? How, how articulate do you have to be to do that? Not very. How about if you get a link to the gospel message that we cut every week, that's six to ten minutes, and play it for a friend? How about that? doesn't require you to be articulate at all. How about if you cut and paste the link to our website to this book so that people could download it and read it or leave it on their computer and, and download it to their computer and read it. How about that? But no, it's just cop-out Christians. All the excuses in the world why you don't care that people who aren't saved get an opportunity to be saved. That's not going to be the new Barah Ministries, believe me. Because I don't want to be around people who think like that. I don't. I don't. It matters. The people out there who don't have the gospel message matter. And if they don't matter to you, they matter to God. And they're going to matter to us. And all that cop-out that we do, you know, that cop-out that you do in in the spiritual life is the same cop-out that you do in your regular life. And you don't have to do that. You could actually be whoever you want to be. That's what God intends for you. God didn't put you here to cop out. He put you here to excel. Now, that last couple of verses where it talked about how Jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, he's just another dead human martyr. 
Well, sorry to disappoint some, he is God, and death could not hold him in a grave. Everyone I meet is going to get the gospel message from me for the rest of my life. I intend to always be prepared to share the gospel message in writing. There is this thing now where you can have a business card and somebody can just scan a QR code on the back of your business card and it downloads stuff to their phone. Well, we can get business cards with QR codes that have the gospel message and download that to people's phone. Or videos from the QR codes and download them to people's phones. And it takes 30 seconds. It's nothing. But we can, we can download our contact information, but we can't download the gospel message? I don't think so. So when we share the gospel message, we look back at the cross and we get a vivid and constant reminder of what the Lord did for us there. That's a big deal. Learning point number seven. Once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. Because God accomplished my salvation and because he never changes his mind, I've learned that I am saved once and for all time. In John chapter 10, verse 28, the Lord says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I used to be incessantly worried that I could do something to lose my salvation. And I didn't know God well enough to know that he would never let that happen. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 confirm it. I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nothing in the heavens and nothing under the earth, nor any created thing, no beings, will ever be able to sever us believers in Christ from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus our Lord. The comfort of knowing exactly what's next when I leave this life is a freedom beyond description. Learning point number eight. Without a prayer life, it's almost impossible to get to know God. I'm embarrassed to say that this is the first year of my life when I have taken my prayer life seriously. I have always prayed, but I seldom set aside dedicated, uninterrupted, and scheduled time to be with the Lord in prayer. It is an invaluable part of every day. With a book to read, with the Bible in hand, with a notepad and with a pen in hand, I visit with the Lord at least an hour every day. Prayer is so relaxing and so power-infusing that I would never want to miss a daily session again. In John chapter 16, verse 23, the Lord says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask God the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Why wouldn't I pray? Two books I recommend for beginning your prayer life. Two Chairs by Bob Bodine and Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. Many of you will be getting the Two Chairs books from me very soon as your Christmas present. And many of you have received the Draw the Circle book from me in the recent past. And through the newsletter, I'll be sharing the way I conduct my own prayer sessions so that from an example, you can develop your own unique way to pray. And that's what you have to do. I remember when I was married to my first wife, I would come down uh, to breakfast and she'd be sitting at the table and she'd have the Bible open and she'd be crying. And I always was a little bit jealous. I thought, you know, I never feel emotional like that 
when I'm reading the Bible, and I never feel emotional like that when I'm praying. Well, come to find out, she's bipolar. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the Bible at all. Right? So, you know, you pray how you pray. I am not a feeler. I have feelings, but I'm not a feeler, and that's not my contact with God. My contact with God is through my mentality. And every once in a while, he lets me feel him. And, you know, that's it's, it's such an overwhelming and tiring experience that he doesn't give me that experience very often. But, you know, what's it going to be like for you? Maybe you're going to be crying like a baby all the time every time you pray. And that's the way you do it. So, you know, if you ever want to know who you are, just look at your fingerprint. You're unique. Nobody else has that fingerprint. Nobody has a, the way of praying that you do. But your relationship with God will be an individual relationship, and you decide what it's like. But I'll give you an idea of what I do, and then you could see if that helps you in any way. Learning point number nine. God is as responsible for my sanctification as he is for my salvation. So I go from, in salvation, we go from being unbelievers to being believers. In sanctification, we go from being immature believers to mature believers. And after we embrace the Christian way of life, salvation, we transition to the Christian way of living, which is called sanctification in the Bible. And I have learned that God is responsible for my sanctification. In systematic theology, he wasn't. We got saved, and then we were on our own. It's not how it is. In preparation for the sanctification portion of our Christian lives, God gives us a spiritual gift, and I have learned in the 22 years of ministry that the gift involves not sitting on our asses doing nothing, which is what systematic theology promoted. My spiritual gift is the gift of pastor-teacher, and it was apparent to me very early in life that a teacher is who I am in my very person as an identity and not just something that I do. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 say this, And the Lord Jesus Christ gave gifted people to the church, some as apostles, some as prophets. Those two gifts are no longer in play. They were the gifts that were in play before the canon of Scripture was closed in A.D. 90. And now, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, each of us is to use our spiritual gift to have our own ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, the church, until we all operate with the unity of the faith and until we all know the Son of God in a mature way, until we all measure up to the stature, which is the same stature of fullness as Christ exhibits. We are to be exact reflections of Christ. That does not mean in any way that we are Christ-like. And anybody who thinks they are Christ-like needs prescription medication. You are not. We are imperfect. But we can reflect Christ, and he allows it. What is sanctification? God sets his believers in Christ apart for a series of mind-boggling blessings that would stagger your imagination. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 to 19 say this. Thanks be to the God and Father that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, 
you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, the gospel message. Salvation by faith alone and Christ alone, the Christian way of life. You went from unbelieving to that. Romans 6.18, And having been freed from sin, we died to the sovereignty of sin with Christ at the cross. You became slaves of righteousness, the Christian way of living, with imputed righteousness credited to your account. And I, Paul, am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness when you were unbelievers, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, as believers in Christ, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. That's a good example of those, those verses are a good example of what happens to us. We go from being unbelieving to believing. We go from unbelieving to salvation, salvation to sanctification. And we now, we were slaves to sin before, and now we're slaves to righteousness because God imputes his righteousness to us. We're slaves to Christ because we're in union with Christ. And so that is what should motivate us. God saved me. God sanctifies me, and he does all the works in both of those phases of my life, and he doesn't really need my help in either phase. And he is going to take me to glorification as well, and he won't need my help in that way either. So I look at the Christian way of life as a moving sidewalk at the airport. And if you can imagine a moving sidewalk at the airport, if you've ever been to the Denver airport, you can walk on either side of that moving sidewalk. And the sidewalk is really long because the Denver airport is really long, just like your life is really long. And at the end of the moving sidewalk is Christ. And we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But we don't. We get distracted by things on either side. On either side are our enemies, the enemies of sin and the enemies of lawlessness, and they're always pelting us and inviting us to come across off of the moving walkway and to join them. And when we get on the moving walkway, you can do two things. You can stand there or you can walk. God prefers that we walk. He wants us to participate in our Christian life. He is the moving walkway and he is moving us toward our destiny, but he prefers that we walk. Now, some people don't. Little kids get on the thing and run the other way, right? And that's what we're like when we sin. We're running away from God when we commit personal sins. And then some just stand on the moving walkway, always in the wrong place, never stand to the right so other people can pass on the left. They always stand on the left. And then when somebody comes and does what they're supposed to do and says, hey, move over to the right, they stand there ticked off and they judge us because we're walking and they think they're cool because they're standing there. And that's what legalistic people are like. They're always standing and looking and judging. They are the spectators of life who think that they have life down pat and everybody else is wrong for what they're doing. So what we're designed to do is to get on that moving walkway and have God move us toward our greater destiny. And when we stand or when we run the wrong way, 
we're interfering with what God's trying to do with us. Learning point number 10. God the Holy Spirit produces the fruit in us. God the Holy Spirit produces the fruit in us. God the Holy Spirit was sent to be our guide. John chapter 16 verse 30 in in John chapter 16 verse 13 the Lord says when he God the Holy Spirit of truth comes whom I am sending to you he will guide you believers in Christ into all the truth. Using the truth God the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us singular fruit in us. Colossians chapter 5 verses 22 and 2 to 22 to 25 say this. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace in yourselves. Notice that self comes first. It's so seldom that we put self first because Satan is always telling us that if you put self first, you're selfish. But on the plane, every time we get on the plane, it says, when the mask dropped down, put on your mask first before assisting the others. Because generally speaking, if you can't breathe, you can't help anybody else. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace in yourself. Unconditional love for yourself, joy, happiness, which is a choice, and peace, recognizing that God has nothing against you. Patience, kindness, and goodness toward others. Unconditional love toward others. And when people are doing what you consider to be wrong, realize it's none of your business. But if it is your business, go to them privately and talk to them about it. And if that doesn't work, take somebody with you to talk to them about it. And if that doesn't work, out them in the church so that the church can help. That's what the Bible tells us to do. What it doesn't say to do is lie to the person's face about why you're leaving and then trash them behind their back. It doesn't say that. Why can't we get it? Why can't we stop being fakes? We say we believe everything in this book. Why don't we read it sometime? See what it has to say. Pretty good. Galatians 5.23 Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our relationship with God. Against such virtues there is no law. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. We are not capable of producing that fruit. But he is capable of producing it in us. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5.25 So if we believers in Christ live by the direction of God the Holy Spirit, if and it's true, and of course we do, let's also walk by the direction of God the Holy Spirit. And Deacon Denny, as usual, stole my verse. For his offering message. (laughs) Galatians 5.16 But I, Paul, say, walk by the direction of God the Holy Spirit and you cannot carry out the desire of the flesh. So in your sanctification life, you have a choice. Walk by means of the Holy Spirit or carry out the desires of the flesh. Well, when the flesh starts talking to you, you're powerless to it. So you better give the job to somebody who knows what they're doing. Talk to God the Holy Spirit and say, it's asking me to do this and I don't want to resist. Can you help? And he always helps. In the areas where I am weak, God is strong. And I have learned to count on him in this 22 years. 
perhaps in this 58 years, to do the impossible in my life. And I, if I have any chance of doing the impossible, I have to know this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of my friends told me one time that I shouldn't be talking about the fact that I'm from the ghetto. I don't know why. Because that's where I'm from. And I think it's magnificent that I'm from there. And I think it's magnificent what God has been able to do with me because the statistics say that the life that God has given me that I now live was impossible for somebody who came from where I came from. I say bull. And I say to all of you who are selling yourself short in your life, stop it. Make a decision to stop it. And it is a decision. It's not a process. It's a decision followed by a process. And that's why God put me in front of you as a pastor. So you could look at me and you could say, if that guy can do it, anybody can do it. That's why he put, it, put me up here. Okay? That's why he put Paul in the position he put Paul in. If the greatest murderer of all time can write two-thirds of the New Testament, what can you do? Because whenever I start feeling bad about myself, I always say, well, I didn't kill anybody yet. I ain't as bad as Paul. Yet. I'm not an adulterer, conspirator, and murderer like David. Yet. And I do have targets for the murder part. Thank you to everyone through the years whom God has brought to this ministry and for the role each of you played in my growth. I look forward to delivering the payoff when I return. (laughs) I'm going to miss that. (laughs) All right, let's close with music. Because of what I have learned from the Lord through the Bible, I have no fear. And here's June Murphy to encourage us in song with her great song, Fear Not.
given a spirit of fear that leads you back to slavery. I've given you a spirit of power and love. The more you give in to your fear, hiding from reality, a paralyzed prisoner of fear, you make yourself victim of fear not. I am always with you. Fear not. I am faithful, tried and true. Fear not. The Holy Spirit will enable you. Fear not. Weapons Thanks, June. Let's close with words of praise to our God. Let's acknowledge the magnificence of the Almighty One. Oh, the depth of His glorious riches, both of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unfathomable are His ways. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Keep on being made complete. Keep on being comforted by God and keep on being like-minded. Keep on living in peace and the God and Father of unconditional love and peace will be with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. 
Almighty God and Father, thank you that this is only a beginning for Barah Ministries. Thank you for all you've done for us in the last two decades so that we can learn how to run an effective ministry. And thank you for all the bumps and bruises along the way that have taught us to be alert, to be sober, and to be on the watch for the prowling lion, Satan, who uses believers in Christ to destroy each other. And let us be mindful so that we don't let that occur in our future. And as we go for this sabbatical rest, I pray that all those who are in Barah Ministries, who are the loyal and faithful members of Barah Ministries, take my advice, study the Gospel of John with Pastor John Farley, read the books on prayer and develop a prayer life, and come back ready with the memorization of the Gospel message verses. Come back ready to join the new Barah Ministries in a new way that has our impact felt all throughout the Valley of the Sun and all throughout the world. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. <laughs>